This time, we watched the French noir spy thriller Alphaville. And along the way, we asked, what is the space between 1984 and Brave New World? Why is Lemmy Caution so easily distracted by a pretty face? And why are the executions so elaborate? No one has lived in the past, and no one will live in the future on this edition of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Rupp, and I am joined today by my friend and co-host... Secret agent, Sean Michael Culp. And alongside with us, we've got our friend and producer... I am Jeremy Kuski. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> uh. He's pretty much belching. As we're, uh, we're here today to discuss the 1965 French oh, new wave noir thriller Alphaville. Woo! Alphaville. I will admit this is actually the very first foreign language film I've watched. Ever? Ever. You've never seen uh, like Pan's Lambreth? I have watched Pan's Labyrinth, yes. All right, there you go. There's, uh, there's it's been on my list though. for a while. Actually, also watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's just Ooh. never gotten around to it. You don't. You didn't want to crouch with the tiger or hide with the dragon? Please stop. <laughs> I'm going to nip that in the bud right now. Just don't. <laughs> Does watching Jackie Chan films but dubbed count? <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Sure. Does watching like 1970 Godzilla's films count <laughs> where they're all so dubbed? Any one of Clint Eastwood's spaghetti westerns, <laughs> so oh, fistful God. of dollars count. <laughs> sure. So we've seen them. So how do we find this film? Uh, as we made our list of sci-fi films, we Googled top sci-fi films, and this appeared on it. I had no idea what it was, but it had like a 91, 97% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'm like, we got to put it on here. Right. And it's a film. It oh, certainly yeah. is. It definitely is a film. <laughs> so, so let's let's quickly break down the plot of Alphaville. Sure. So secret agent Lemmy Caution is sent on a mission to the mysterious, dystopic, technocratic world of Alphaville, a city ruled by a supercomputer named Alpha 60. Caution's mission is to rendezvous with a missing operative and to either kill the creator of Alpha 60 or destroy the supercomputer itself. But when Caution's mission becomes complicated, when he meets a beautiful stranger who is more connected to Alphaville than she knows. And stuff happens. And insert <laughs> musical stinger here. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's that's definitely epic and a nice mystery novel. <laughs> it sounds great on paper, but watching the film... For the first 40 minutes, I was completely lost. Totally. I had no idea. You, it opens up with this dude, like Jeremy was announcing his name. He sounds like he's burping in French. He's like, bleh, 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 bleh. And you're like, what the hell is this? Are you like, uh, are you sick? Yeah. <laughs> just, just cough. Clear I read up that that was um, a man who had his larynx removed in place of the mechanical voice box. So that's well, the, that's what that voice was. Well, there we go. Welcome to Alpha <laughs> Interesting choice. Yeah, very. And the interesting choice uh, and why is because in 1965, French had a new wave of cinema, sci-fi, neo-noir. 
And I guess this director, Jean-Luc Godard, played really into that by casting that guy. It, it's, the dub. Yeah, as far as I can tell, Godard exclusively made films for French cinema and never really yeah. branched out to American audiences, but... He's cited as a major influence for so many directors today. Steven Soderbergh, Quentin Tarantino, Brian De Palma, and Martin Scorsese. Mm -hmm. He's apparently the guy. I mean, he got an honorary Oscar, I think, in 2010 or 2011. And his films, like, he's known, like, in the 60s and 70s in France. Like, he's the He was the guy. (laughs) He was the guy. He was, like... The French Spielberg in the yeah. in the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. People credited him as like he's one of the top ten of all time, and uh, like we were saying at the beginning, it's kind of tough to get in the film. Maybe that's because we're so used to Hollywood films. Because this being like a my first foreign film from back in the sixties, you know, I had to like kind of wrap my mind around what the heck is going on. Because most American films, it's right in your face, usually quick, easy. You know who it is who's in it, the characters, the relationships. But this was kind of all bogged over by this weird voice, this guy that's smoking cigarettes and not letting anyone touch his suitcase. <laughs> He's just walking around. Hi, my name is Lemmy Cushion, and I'm here on a mission. So it definitely is off-putting at first, if you would agree. At first, yes, it is, because it feels like you're watching the sequel to a film that where you didn't see what happened we have this is like heading into avengers endgame without knowing what happened in avengers infinity war (laughs) what happened like wait where's black panther where's spider-man what happened where are the guardians of the galaxy and there's no like epilogue yeah there's nothing there's no prologue so you're like what the hell maybe because i guess this character the detective spy let me caution Apparently, that followed around the actor for years. Like, his whole career was based on this character. He was in him, I guess he appeared as the character 15 times he, as the police guy. Yeah, well, he was this. They, he played this character, let me caution, up until 1991, I think. So yeah. we've got a whole James Arness and Marshall Matt Dillon thing going on here. And <laughs> and I, I was looking up so, uh, some uh, info on Eddie Constantine, and uh, he was actually born in California and trained in Vienna, Austria as a singer. Huh. But his career in Hollywood never took off, and he left for France to make him make a name for himself there, and he got hooked in with yeah. French cinema. He's actually noted in his early performances, he's known as like not being able to act. <laughs> That's hilarious. I I could see, maybe, like back when he was younger, because he's pretty old when he does this. Not old, but 50, 51. I don't think he was that old. It's just he was shot in this harsh light. Oh yeah. He was not see. he was not he did not have any makeup on and, and in these heavily lit scenes, yeah, he looks, you know, haggard and elderly. Maybe that's maybe that was the uh what the director wanted to go for cuz his scene partner Natasha what was that lady's name? She, uh, Anna Karina. Anna Karina, she's beautiful in this film and she does a great job. So, I'm like cuz maybe that's the contrast of that what he wanted because he he would focus center camera on this girl Anna, and she's gorgeous. Then boom, goes to Eddie, and you're like, "Oh God!" It's this weird this? contrast throughout the film because everybody else is like silky smooth. They all look great. They all have impeccable clothing. They all they're all beautiful people, and yet the people who come from the Outlands, like 
um, caution and his uh, the other agent that he sent to look for, they all look so run down. Like yes, like the uh, Dixon, the agent he's looking for, has got five o'clock shadow that's six days old. Mm-hmm. He's he's clearly been you know on a bender this whole time and is laying down with seductresses. Yeah, <laughs> which is a thing. They just walk around and seduce you. <laughs> they're just there like were they robots or were they humans that was tough i i thought they were humans that were like indoctrinated because immediately when it's the first five minutes of the film and uh lemmy's walking through this hotel and the seductress goes up to him and she says may i take your suitcase no and she just starts asking him questions that he doesn't respond to so she feels so robotic are you going to take a bath would you like to sleep with me? We are going this way. How are you, sir? And it just felt so off-putting. I, I viewed that as a reason as um, to show how detached they were, how they looked beautiful, but they weren't all there. They were very machine-like. It's puppy dogish. Yeah, puppy dogish. You know, just following you around, like, hey, do you <laughs> want to play? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? Like, can I take your coat? And you know, I, you know. Bark, bark, like, bark. I did like how they had different levels of seductress. It was like, I'm a level one seductress. I'm a level three Yeah, what are the level two and three? <laughs> what are they? <laughs> what, what's the first level? Are the, are those like Wolf of Wall Street parlance? Are those the blue chip hookers? Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's even, there's even at one point we see a woman, we see her backside in a display case. Oh, oh, it was terrible. And actually at that part, they mention um, brainwashing, basically. So maybe those women that are robotic, like you said, maybe they're brainwashed or something. Yeah, well, they were talking about when the people that resisted, because the scientist comes down to this town, Von something. What is it? What was his last name? Von Braun? Von Braun. Von Braun. He made a theory in New York, was rejected, so then he went and created this town, Alphaville, that was like egalitarian or whatever. It was all about knowledge and uh, logic. And any emotion, like crying or anything, was comp- was viewed as negative. So they would execute people. A great scene was like the seats of the theater that would like tilt back, and they would fall down like a shaft and then get electrocuted. That's just fascinating to me. But if their bodies survived, they could take them and reprogram them somehow. So I viewed all the people with like the numbers and everything that resisted, they were reprogrammed somehow by Alpha Sixty. Well, it's it's shocking too how women are exploited and also almost revered in this sense. Because in, in in the execution scene, they note that oh, we execute maybe one woman for every fifty men. So it's it's weird the position women hold in this society and and how everybody is trained to to not know a to not know what love is, which is you know how a foreigner song was made, <laughs> and to. It's almost like this weird double speak of words have the opposite meaning. The head nods have the opposite meanings of, you know, you shake your head no, but you really mean yes, and so and vice versa. And a lot of it is drawn from these influences from George Orwell's 1984 and Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. So I don't know if you picked out any of those similarities. No, no, we're not nerds. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I apologize for nothing. I. I, I <laughs> 1984 and Brave New World are required reading, in my opinion. I'm just kidding. How brave is the New World? Shut is up. It, is it brave? <laughs> no. Like, have you not? Did you not read it? 
No, I, I guess I'm not brave enough. Oh, have you, you never read 1984? No. What, or, is, what have you been doing? What have I been doing? I like slept through high, uh, high school. I don't know. No. <laughs> well, in well, in 1984, they have the 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 concept of Big Brother, the, the all seeing, all knowing yeah. uh, government entity, which in the film is Alpha Sixty. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you picked this out too, but I saw some people that were like popping pills or mm-hmm. taking drugs. And in Brave New World, there is a drug called like it's called Soma. It's meant as like a like a it's an allegory for cocaine at the time. And like people would just, you know, like, oh, did you take your soma today? You know, to to pep you up and make you forget like how crappy the world is. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always known as nineteen eighty four is like the conspiracy theorist wet dream novel that they always refer to, but I've never no, I've never read it. But now I'm definitely There's a lot of concepts from not gonna read it. Both novels <laughs> that are that are placed within this film. Like the idea yeah. of also destroying the dictionary and yeah. replacing words like oh i guess that word doesn't exist anymore mm-hmm. so it's, it's very similar to the idea of newspeak from 1984 there are a lot of stories and movies that draw from 1984 so i do recommend mm-hmm. reading that at some point i mean one that comes to my mind right away is v for vendetta yeah that's a great film and comic book series it's all about dismantling the man. Yeah, that's very dystopian and very, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say so much sci-fi-y, if that's a word, but more so like, you know, government, right, you know, the government uprising to, to fill a, a power vacuum. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And that's, would you say this Alphaville is more of a dictatorship? Because- it almost is Wizard of Oz-esque because you see this Alpha 60, but then it's actually controlled by the scientist, Von Braun. I would call it a techno tatorship. Techno tatorship. Yeah. It's a. <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's, it, there isn't one person that's ruling over everything. Even uh, Professor Von Braun seems uh, subordinate to Alpha 60. Mm-hmm. Even despite him being its creator, he's also. He's subjugated to it. But once he kills him, then Alpha 60 pretty much dies. Yeah, and well, Caution also feeds it that that unsolvable riddle. Yes, which is one of the highlights, I think. Which causes everybody to bug out, like, (laughs) what cannot compute, cannot compute, and they start, like, jumping on the walls, start going towards the light. Everybody's having, you know, (laughs) they're having their own issues walking, and Lemmy's just running around like, I'm (laughs) able-bodied. Excuse me, sir. A computer can't defeat me. <laughs> I'm a police officer from Film Noir. Yeah, uh, I didn't get the sense, at least for about half the film, that Lemmy was a secret agent. I thought he was a cop. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got. Well, he just shoots everyone like Dirty Harry. I mean, he's just blowing guys away. He's slapping women. Yeah. He's going Don Draper on people. He throws Anna around so much. It's like, give me breakfast. God, back in the 60s. Even when she wants to order, when Natasha wants to order breakfast for him, he goes, no, I can order it myself. I know. Like, dude, she's just trying to be nice to you. Chill out. Is your entire generation just incapable of relaxing? (laughs) Incapable of showing what? Uh, emotion or letting a woman help out oh god that it's <laughs> i don't know why i think it's funny i'm fine thank you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's all he has to say is i'm fine thank you not yelling at her like she left the garage door open all night 
a garage door. <laughs> wow, Chris, you uh, so that's it, huh? Garage doors <laughs> is what sets you off. No, I'm just saying, like he's yelling at her for something. Yeah, for something that's not worth yelling at her about. But then he's like so tender about like the poetry and the dictionary. He's such a such a mind-boggling character. It's a weird characterization that <laughs> Constantine is putting on for for Lemmy there. But I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there was no script that they used to film the movie. So it was all imp- Yeah, pretty much the whole thing was improvised. If I if you said that and then I read that and just now, I'm like, that's crazy. Well, in order to sell the film for financial backing, uh, Godard enlisted his assistant director, Charles Bish, to write a screenplay, which his Godard's only direction was, go read a Lemmy Caution novel and then write a screenplay. So they took that screenplay, they sold that to financial backers, got the money, and then Godard was like, oh, we're not going to use this, and shot us nothing from that script. <laughs> And it was the backers were so upset that they wanted their money back after seeing the final product, <laughs> which nowadays we just call that fraud. Yeah. <laughs> but the 60s were a different time in France. Yeah. So a little uh, Sound of Thunder 1960s version going on. Yeah. <laughs> sound of Fraudulent Thunder. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I forgot. A Sound of Fraudulent Thunder. Thank you very much. <laughs> God, that's crazy. But for. You know, the improvisation, not too shabby. I do have to say my lens flare of the film were, was, I guess, all the drawings that would randomly flash on the screen. At first it was the voice, but the voice, once you meet Alpha 60, I was like, all right, I'll write this off. You know, it's their depiction of what a robot would sound like. But when the robot talks, it always like would flash E equals MC square. One was like Noma or something. Nord or whatever, like these lights that would just flash and it would the entire screen and then drawings of like people and I understood the words, but it was just it Well was the Nord and the and the Sud um Sud, yeah. That was that was more to kinda like indicate where we were in Alphaville because there was the north zone and then there then there was the south zone. Okay. That see, I had no idea. I'm like, what are these lights? Why is this happening? If I did have to pick a lens flare, I'd have to say the fight in Lemmy's hotel bathroom. <laughs> oh my god. This fight is amazing. We never uncover who his attacker was <laughs> or what they were trying to do, but he got whooped in that fight. He walks in the bathroom. And he walks in this bathroom like ten times. And then on the tenth time when the woman's like, Would you like to take a bath with me? And this guy just jumps out of nowhere and attacks him. And it's the funniest thing in the world. It's this encounter is only brought up one other time besides <laughs> that fight. And then never again the rest of the film. So Lemmy bad. doesn't hit him when he tries shooting at him. And which why is nobody else in that hotel going, Hey, there's a crazy person next door who's shooting his gun? It, it, yeah. I never understood that either. He's like the only guy that's discharging a firearm in this entire ville. And no one, no, everyone's cool with it. I don't know if you caught, he asked, um, is this normal? And the robotic woman said, yes, this is normal. 
This is dumb. like it's just okay for like it, this is like a hazing ritual for people who check into the hotel. <laughs> like, hey, there, there's a crazy person hiding out in your bathroom. You got to beat him up <laughs> so you can spend the night here. I love that. I love that during the fight, while they're beating each other up, the woman's like bathing in the bathtub, like nothing is going. Yeah, on. Yeah, she's nonchalant. She's so nonchalant. It's so perfect. Maybe this was meant to be like a cold open prologue, <laughs> like what the James Bond films were doing at the time. <laughs> Well, and then and then Lemmy is nonchalant too about it. Like two minutes later, he's fine. Yeah, two minutes later, he's slapping the seductress out of his <laughs> bathtub. He is. He gets roughed up in the elevator. They're pushing him around, and then he just opens the door, just brushes himself off. The fight scenes are absolutely ridiculous in this movie because it's all pushing. It's not punching. It's not kicking or anything. Even in that in that fight in the bathroom, he. He picks up a chair and bashes it over the dude's head. So it's so it's ridiculous. It's perfect. It's like watching a seventh grade shoving match. <laughs> I love when uh, he's outside and they didn't even like shoot a fight scene. It's just like quick cuts at the end of him just like doing different holes. And then it ends the with him with the guy's head under the tire and, and the car going up. <laughs> oh my! You didn't see that part, did you? No, I have to admit I did not finish the movie. Oh, it's so great, Jeremy. He's trying to take this car. And it's like, he's outside, he points the gun, and there's a guy inside the car. Then all of a sudden, it quick cuts to a still of him holding the guy in the headlock, and then another still, another still, and then he's driving over him in the car. It's so great. It's so bad, but it's so good. I have about a half an hour left to watch. Uh, that That's when the film really gets going, so you're in for a treat. Yes. Oh, great. It only took an hour and ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you... Oh my God! So, what would you, what would a society that's run by a supercomputer look like? Ooh, uh, iRobot. I don't think so. Yeah, because Vicky was like running society, right? She kind of was and kind of wasn't. Like she was plugged into certain things. She was in charge of security. But I got the sense in this film that Alpha Sixty was controlling everything. Even yeah, that's true. He was in the hotel even for breakfast. Like, do you want bacon and eggs? <laughs> what if you, like, messed with Alpha Alpha 60? Be like, no, I want to start. Excuse me. What do you say? I said sunny side up. You know what, actually? Over well, the- it's France, so it's probably, you know, baguettes and cigarettes. <laughs> That's true. And black coffee. Just setting it all in one. Yeah, Jean Renault is just like, hey, do you want your French roast? <laughs> Yes, we want baguettes and crepes and French roast and cigarettes. Put the, oh, put the, <laughs> my girlfriend has told me that if I ever go to France, I'd probably be kicked out in less than a day. Because I, I would just I would just be like I would walk up to some Frenchie and be like, Hey, remember that time when you guys collaborated with the Nazis? Oh my god. <laughs> Because <laughs> everyone in France goes, wee oui, wee, oui, ha Like, no, we don't remember that. <laughs> you must leave now. <laughs> no, I have the Statue of Liberty. Boom, baby. Oh my it's like, God. you gave us the Statue of Liberty. We gave you freedom. <laughs> You're never going to France. No, I, I, like I said, I'd probably be kicked out in less than a day. Because, like, there's a Boorish American at the Louvre. <laughs> Asking to see the Mona Lisa and the dogs playing poker. Oh my God. So, a cover, a society run by a robot. So, this is about a year, no, a hundred years down the line when Amazon and Google have combined 
to Gugan, and they <laughs> have taken over society. Or I like the more amusing Amoogle. Amoogle. <laughs> and they've controlled society. Maybe we'd have something like uh, I Am Mother, like one of that. Yeah. You know? You know, packages would be received on time. <laughs> we'd all be stuck in our virtual reality. Like any package you could ever want is just delivered to you as you're thinking it, because that's how Google and Amazon would work if they were together. <laughs> It's like, hey, I was just thinking about ordering the Deadwood box set, and it's here at my doorstep 30 <laughs> seconds later. It's incredible. And then you get a text from me, hey, Chris, is the wood dead? And is then it? I would run to your house and slap you in the face. I'll uh, <laughs> let me caution. No, no, you'd be thinking that, and Amazon would do that for you. Right. right. <laughs> this is from Chris. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, uh, I mean, a Moogle, uh, like a computer like that, I mean, we could see, what do you think we could see, like, better traffic, lower crime rates? Yeah. We'd all be in our houses, just, like, floating, probably. There wouldn't even be it. We'd, just... We'd all just be working for a Moogle? <laughs> yes, in our Moogle paradise. We would all just be a Moogleites. I think that, that that would be the future. Where's Disney in all this? Disney is a uh, subsidiary of a Moogle. All right. It would be a Moogled. How about that? One? Disney exclusively makes a Moogle documentaries. <laughs> I would say Disney owns a Moogle or something. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. The D is silent. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Disney is. It's Disney now. It's Disney. <laughs> All right. Back on track here. Uh, how about how about you, Chris? What what does your society look like? <laughs> I think if if a supercomputer was running everything in the world, I think it it'll definitely go towards the, the malevolent side pretty quick. Yeah, like there'd be techno wars. Like oh, who? Like yes, a Moogle runs things, but who controls a Moogle? <laughs> does Jeff Bezos just sit on top of a Moogle tower, just looking down on his domain? Um. <laughs> But I mean, could we also see? Could we also see censorship? Could we see, yeah. you know, access to information be denied because a supercomputer is controlling everything? Could even words be eliminated? Could thought processes be eliminated? I mean, and I got the sense that Alpha Sixty was plugged into everyone's brain by some type of microchip because that—that's yeah. the only thing. The only way that would make sense and everybody has having convulsions and freaking out in the end is what is because Alpha 60 is plugged into everybody like that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. With the if we all got microchipped like 50 years from now they're like a Moogle wants to give you wants to micro you easy access. You can just scan and buy anything with the wave of your hand. That'd be pretty crazy. That's actually been talked about by the way. Oh, God. Yeah, putting a chip inside the body and then... There's a factory in Wisconsin, actually, that um, did that a couple of years ago with their employees as a way of, like, they swipe their hand over the door pass and they're able to get in. It's and also, terrifying. And even a way of paying at vending machines, you swipe your hand over, like, the Coke machine or whatever, and it gives you a bottle and, you know, it's deducted from your pay. But how would, like, your body react to, like, a foreign object inside it? Like well, that, obviously, it's crazy. put into, like, a... it's it's done by medical professionals and it's in a sterile capsule. Yeah, it's it's done all the time. I mean, we have knee replacements, hip replacements, um yeah. We have, you know, pets that get microchipped all the time. God. No, I don't want to be microchipped. Not by a Moogle. Well, given your tendency to wander off, maybe microchipping you <laughs> in your neck might be a good thing. <laughs> Where's Sean? Oh, okay. 
Like, oh, I can look it up. Let's see. He's oh, uh, he's off the map. Okay, we got to go find him. <laughs> bring, bring, bring. Yeah, and then we'll just put a little shock thing in it so it just paralyzes you and you lay on the floor as well. We come get you. <laughs> During the techno wars, Chris, do they play techno? Because <laughs> I'm just imagining. <laughs> Daft Punk is the Daft anthem Punk. of the revolution. <laughs> Skrillex, every just wait till the beat drops. Boom! And then there's the resistance that plays Beastie Boys and Metallica. <laughs> That's what the wars will be like. I want to be part of the resistance if we're listening to Beastie Boys. <laughs> Such a sabotage. Oh man. No, so Paul's boutique, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. I'd be on the side of Daft Punk. Daft Punk, absolutely. Daft Punk, rule the world. Hoo <laughs> A moogle. I'm on that. Well, that's pretty cool. That's a, that's an interesting thought. So what else? What else about this film? How did, did you feel like... about the, the film score? Film score? <laughs> it's just that, you know, it's just that stinger throughout the film. It's very it's noir. You don't have much film score. It's like every time Lemmy turns around, it's... <laughs> That's right. I forgot. It's like, that's the easiest film score ever. Just make this noise. That's all we need. The only time it really swells up when we get the full theme is at the end when mm-hmm. Natasha realizes her her feelings and her love for Lemmy. When she has to think for herself and think of the words that she doesn't know. And her first thought is love. <laughs> I haven't seen many films in that time era, but isn't that score kind of common? Like the... Dum, dum, dum. And like the Not ominous. really. I mean, it's certainly common in noir films where you have a musical yeah. stinger like that. But even then, you would still have a variety of leitmotifs and film score. I mean, this was also during the same time when spaghetti westerns were becoming more and more popular. And Ennio Morricone was changing the landscape of, of film scores. Yeah. I mean, this is this is, this film is definitely it's not as bad as a spaghetti western. Where that spaghetti westerns just actively waste your time. No, there's there's Sergio Leone <laughs> spaghetti westerns, and then there's everybody else at the bottom of that pyramid. He's like, you're gonna sit through this. Sergio Leone care. dominates the landscape of spaghetti westerns. If we're just if we're being honest about that. What about lasagna westerns? <laughs> hey, butch! Don't you get started in on this whole western joke? <laughs> Chicken you might have to go sit. Western. You might have to go sit in the corner <laughs> to make a Sean joke. Yeah. Speaking like, of Sean jokes, though, did you have a red shirt? Oh, how does that relate to a Sean joke? <laughs> Everything's a Sean joke. A <laughs> uh, red shirt? Probably the guy from the bathtub. That was hilarious to me. That was my instant red shirt of the film. He kicks him while, and the chick's bathing herself. I mean, this is—it's amazing. That's definitely my red shirt. Well, he doesn't die though. I thought he shoots him. He shoots him and misses. Oh, he misses? Yeah. Oh, I thought he kills him. He misses. He fires three or four shots and he runs out of the room. Like, wow. Oh, snap. I was like, Lemmy, the army needs you. All right, then if he didn't die, it's got to be one of the guys that this guy just... Because Lemmy goes on like a brutal murdering campaign, like the second half of the film. Every person, he's just like, I use my gun because it's quick. Boom, boom, boom. So either, yeah. I think yours should be the guy he puts under the tire. <laughs> oh, that's so amazing. 
I love that scene too. Probably that one would be good then. <laughs> Cuz they, they even the car even goes up so they drove over something. But the whole build up to that scene is just insatiable the stills. It's ridiculous. It's like <laughs> it's watching very ridiculous. It's like watching Keanu Reeves fight somebody who has no idea they're about to be in a fight scene. <laughs> I wonder if that's what they did. Hey, you sir, come over here. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Like, hey, you want to be in a movie? <laughs> Can I get paid in baguettes? <laughs> Jesus. All right, what about you? Uh, mine was Agent Dixon, who dies in the throes of lovemaking with the seductress third class. <laughs> That's right. He does die in the throes of lovemaking. Is that the throes of lovemaking? Apparently to him, because his heart was just like, this is too much. <laughs> he just like passes out. And then he's dead. I know. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Does he get his like head rubbed or something? Like his, his actual bald head. Or something. Like, I don't know what massage. happened. Apparently, it was just, it, you know, the thought of being with a pretty girl was just too much for him. And he's like, I can't take it. I'm checking out. Bye. <laughs> it was very odd. It was. He died like Elvis. It was so weird. He, like, stumbles in, can barely get up the stairs because he's overweight. And then just, poof, goodbye. What was the point of mommy hiding in that scene? Like, behind the the dresser or whatever it was? No idea. I chalk it up to the whole improvisation nature of the film and it's like, well we can't have lemmy not in the scene so why don't we just hide him quote unquote we'll just open the 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 drawer of the commode there and hide him maybe but they, they, maybe they won't notice but they have him hide and then there's scenes where anna's hiding just like behind the doors what's up with people hiding behind the doors like when lemmy comes back to the hotel it's like anna opens the door he walks by her she just keeps appearing in each room it's it's very peculiar. What's Why? up with people thinking that behind a door is the best place to hide? <laughs> I guess. So. I mean, if that habit wasn't beaten out of you while playing hide and seek as a child, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm hiding behind a door, hiding behind the curtain. They'll never find me here. Well, so I could see your feet. In black and white alphaville, maybe that's that's where it is. <laughs> and man. the door is not closing all the way, so I know there's something wrong with it. <laughs> oh, we better get some WD-40 over here. It's Put, like the scene in the. It. It's like the scene in the Halloween remake where the babysitter is trying to close the closet door, but like we know Michael Myers is in it, and then all of a sudden, surprise! You're dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So one thing I did want to ask. So this is a film that's relatively older. Do you think we could see a remake in the future? That's a good question. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing a remake of this. Maybe like a more modernized, less... Well, I love the stylized nature of it, but maybe less stylized. Because this is kind of too hokey. Maybe not black and white. I didn't mind the black and white. I think it worked because of the lack of special effects. They had to make it somewhat interesting, but I wouldn't mind. Who would you have cast as Lemmy? Um... I think somebody older, um, maybe not as grizzled looking as Eddie Constantine. Hmm. Bradley Cooper. Maybe Bradley Cooper, even Liam Neeson. <laughs> yeah, Liam Neeson. Yeah. I even could... even Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, I could see Liam Neeson or Pierce Brosnan slapping women around. Yeah, but who would direct it, though? Hmm. Ryan Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, I don't know. I would like uh, Denny Villeneuve to 
take this one on. He's directed Arrival, uh, Blade Runner 2049. He's doing oh, the the nice. du- the Dune remake set to come out soon. Okay. So uh, he's got a unique eye for doing science fiction films. So this this might be right up in his in his wheelhouse if he if he's looking for another project. I'd be down for that. They could have the uh the Lemmy Caution Files <laughs> try to have that kickstart. I think they have if they do remake the film, they have to devote some time to world building. You know, we gotta we gotta know where we are and what's happening. We can't just be dropped into this world post haste and figure out what the heck is going on. With all of that in mind, let's briefly touch on the legacy of Alphaville. All right. So I don't know about you, but I couldn't find any sort of concrete information <laughs> regarding the box office of uh, take of this film, but it is held in high regard. Yeah, that's what people say. They love it. Holds it's... a 92% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, take that for what you will. <laughs> also, I did see that the film is banned in Pakistan. It's banned in Pakistan. Why? Probably because of the nudity. Oh, for the back? Yeah. The one back scene with you see her? You do see her butt, though. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, but it's French cinema. It's like, we have no problem with nudity here. Oh, <laughs> we invented the nude bitches. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised they didn't throw baguettes at everyone. We invented <laughs> the nude bitches in outdoor smoking. <laughs> everyone stole that from us. <laughs> that's what he was trying to buy, Jeremy. A baguette. <laughs> but he got a Merci card instead. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was confused at that part. At the vending machine, yeah. That was so weird. Oh, the good old days when there were cigarettes and cigarette vending machines. <laughs> but this was also included in the list of 1,001 films you must see before you die. Yes. So yeah. It's also mo- noted as Michael Shannon's favorite film. Mm-hmm. It influenced the uh, synth pop band Alphaville. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> I I don't know what they play. If it's not Daft Punk, I mean, like, what's the point? <laughs> it's also mentioned in Lovebug Starsky's song Amityville. <laughs> I don't know what that I is. I have no idea either. But, uh, hey, use that for your uh, bar trivia. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you say we rate this film, shall we, Sean? Yes. So... On our unique scale on the Force Fed Sci-Fi Podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party, what do you give to 1965's Alphaville? I would own it. I would own the crap out of this film. I love it. It's so hokey and silly, and oh, it's amazing. The From the fight scenes down to the burping French dialect, it's amazing. Every part of it. And while it does start off, the first 40 minutes are kind of rough and you really don't know what the hell's going on. The last 40 minutes, I think, really saved this film. And, you know, they build on the relationship between Lemmy and Anna and you kind of find the doctor and he starts shooting up people. And I think it definitely delves into more of the noir aspects. So it's got a lot of good scenes, a lot of good choices made by the director, like them walking through the hallways when people are falling over. So for that, I worship it. But it's not a perfect film, so I won't host viewing parties, but I would definitely own the crap out of it. How about you? Yeah, admittedly, this film is difficult to watch, like you mentioned, for the first 40 minutes. And as an outsider, there's zero context for what we're seeing on screen, and there's no 
clear plot that emerges until after Lemmy leaves his interrogation from Alpha 60. And however, it's after that that is when this film finally gets great. And we finally see Lemmy develop into something of a likable character with an easy with a mission that we can identify with. And it's easy to see where a film like Blade Runner received its influence from after watching this film. And this is a film that deep sci-fi fans should watch, but I think it being a foreign language film can be difficult to navigate and having to watch the subtitles can be a bit off-putting for newer viewers, but overall I did enjoy the film and for that I would call this a would watch. Hey. Yeah. Jeremy, so far, even though you haven't finished it, what's this rating for you, huh? It's tough. I, you know, I don't know. Take my opinion, what you will, because I have not finished it. Like you said, um, I so far, I I just probably say watch it once, and I'm okay not watching again. So, it's okay. There are <laughs> there are certain aspects that I've been enjoying about it. Definitely some filmmaking aspects and uh, the the storyline and and the dialogue as well. I mean. I, the fact that this is improv that's that's pretty impressive honestly so mm-hmm. so yeah there are aspects that i like about it but i i think after watching when, when i'm finished watching this i i don't think i'm gonna go out of my way to to watch it again right on fair okay. enough <laughs> sweet you can only base it based on what you've seen so far and that's your that's right. your viewing right who knows it might change <laughs> <laughs> so with that Let's pick it's our time. film for next time. Is our next film Betaville? Oh! oh that'll be Omega Phil. <laughs> the Ville trilogy. Oh, God. <laughs> All set in France. You're Are you here to raid our supply of crepes? I'm not. We have no more baguettes from the last time you were here. I'm not. Our our cigarettes are also gone as well. I can't market this to France now. It's over. <laughs> you filthy Americans. Make fun of us, will you? Well. Send Chris baguettes. Pr- prove, <laughs> Send us, baguettes. prove us wrong. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> let's talk to our non-French Magers, Mag, uh, Major Samantha. Yes. From our list of 118 films, we're going to enlist the help of our friendly random number generator AI <laughs> Major Samantha, and from that list, she has selected number 14. It is a film from the year 2000, directed by Roger Spottiswood and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. It is The Sixth Day. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we got a we got a cloning film up next in the feed. Okay. Interesting film. Interesting, Interesting film, film, to say the least, yes. yes. Yeah. You haven't seen it? No. Should well, I, you will. Should I watch it on the sixth day of the week? <laughs> I hope you can all just hear the collective eye roll of of myself and Jeremy, because that was just the stupidest joke. Coming from somebody who we've had to endure numerous jokes of, is the wood dead? Still haven't received an answer. So. The Sixth Day will be our film for next time. Please watch along with us and enjoy. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. 
It helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Forcefed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we'll see you next time. Forcefed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design associate producer and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.